Welcome to Behind the Blade Podcast, episode 34. This is Matt Martin sitting across from Mr. James Tiberius Stewart himself. What is up, everybody? People are actually going to think my middle name is Tiberius. That's if we all keep right. this up. Yeah, that's it's, okay. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> it's funny to me every two weeks. <laughs> A little bit of an abbreviated episode for you guys today. We are going to go into history, do some Q&As. Jim and I got in a rap session about the intricacies of shop ownership, and I'm sorry it wasn't necessarily entertaining for the air, but it had to be covered, and here we are still delivering the goods. Stay tuned. So... Jim, you know that I've had a mohawk for like the last 18 years, right? I've only ever seen you with one. Until recently, I started getting haircuts. Right. And I'm like, what a brave new world this is. This is fantastic. <laughs> I got hair all over my bathroom and stuff like that. Because I used to shave it myself at home. But since I go to this barber shop, I'm watching my barber lady. She runs this really cool barber shop up in New Sheffield. And I'm watching her kind of go through shears. And she's like, oh, I got new shears. There's nobody up here that sharpens them. And I'm mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me? I was like, you don't have a sharpening service. You can spend good money on these shears and she use them to death. And then she buys right. new ones. And I'm oh, like, no. this is terrible. And so I told her, I was like, have you looked into the KME sharpening system? <laughs> and, and she was like, no, what is that? And I explained it to her. And I explained it's a guided system that you can't go wrong with. And that you can, it presets the geometry to your existing favorite edge geometry of your favorite shears. And it just brings them back new. And I was like, there's even tutorial videos on YouTube with these guys, and they'll show you how to do it and how simple it really is. And she's like, do you think, this is a true story, guys. She's like, (laughs) do you think you could do this for me? And with my experience with the KME, I go, yeah. I was (laughs) like, I think I can. And so I'm actually, this week, I'm going by to pick up a set of shears from her, a set of burner shears, Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, a less expensive version that she has that's already shot out. She's testing out what you can do. Yeah, And so am I. But you know what? With the confidence that I have in the product and the experience that I have using it and knowing just how intuitive and easy it can be, uh, even though Ron swears that I hold the thing backwards. Uh, (laughs) 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 Just kidding, Ron. But... uh, uh, but knowing how well it works and going by the guided videos that they have on their YouTube channel, I, I say, well, this is great because uh, this is an added expense in my life is this haircut situation. <laughs> if I can trade that out for shear sharpening, I'm all about it. Yeah, and if that absolutely. means that my local small business gets the best tools in the best condition that they can possibly handle, I'm all about it. So we're talking about an American small business using American components to supply I'm talking about KME in that sense to supply another American small business, which is vehement knives so that they can support another small business by keeping their tools in pristine condition. How can you go wrong with that? (laughs) And what if you were a barber yourself? What if you were a hairstylist or you worked in a salon and you could provide the service either for yourself or your uh, coworkers? So go check them out. That's KMESharp.com. And look at their shear sharpener and watch the videos on Jim. Do you, what's the YouTube channel? YouTube.com slash KME sharpeners. There you go. So check them out and you'll see what I'm talking about. Who knows? Maybe you'll get free cuts for life too. All right. And welcome back, everybody. Jim Stewart here with Mad Martin. And we are diving directly into a history segment. Both Matt and I have like a deep, deep seated, passionate little place in our black little hearts for the. For, 
for the Roman Gladius. I am super excited to hear Matt's rendition of the history of this thing. And uh, Matt, good sir. Yes. Take it away. As Jim mentioned, we are covering the Gladius today. It is a sword with extraordinarily sexy lines. Everybody loves one. I don't think anybody in today's society needs one, but we all kind of need one. Does that I, make sense? I, I, I especially need one, Matt. <laughs> it's like a boarding cutlass. Like, I need a boarding cutlass, <laughs> not for any practical reason. So the Gladius, just to take you all the way back to the very beginning, was one Latin word for sword and is used to represent the primary sword of ancient Roman foot soldiers. Early ancient Roman swords were similar to those of the Greeks called the Xiphos. So the Gladius was very similar to the Xiphos in its origins. From the 3rd century mm. BC, however, the Romans adopted swords similar to those used by the Celtiberians and others during the early part of the conquest of Hispania. The sword <laughs> is known as the Gladius Hispaniesis, or Hispanic sword. A, full equip <laughs> a fully equipped Roman legionary after the reforms of Gaius Marius was armed with a shield, scutum, or two javelins, pila, and a sword, gladius, often a dagger, pugio, and perhaps the later empire period darts. See, I forgot to look this one up. Plumbate. You like that? You little plumbate. No, plumbate. Yeah. <laughs> plumbate. Yes, I like saying that one now. I, I like it. That's I one of my it. favorite it's words. <laughs> Conventionally, soldiers threw pile to disable the enemy's shields and disrupt enemy formations before engaging in close combat, for which they drew their gladius. A soldier generally led with the shield and thrust with the sword. All gladius types appear to have been suitable for cutting and chopping as well as thrusting. Now, this is a, a very awkward way to describe. This is courtesy of Wikipedia, and thanks to all those who've contributed their information and knowledge. But <laughs> if they were to, like, say, y you remember that scene from 300? Everybody would know exactly what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> the guys would make their phalanx with their swords. The other guys would throw the spears. The spears would stick in the shields. The shields were discarded as they mm -hmm. moved closer together. Then they would, shields that were maintained and not discarded, would be using be used to block the attackers as they came thrusting over the top with their gladius. Mm -hmm. right. And then if all hell broke loose, then they start flailing it around and swinging it for those chop cuts. But honestly, the gladius <laughs> was primarily a stabbing weapon. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, from, from behind the shield in formation. Absolutely. Yep. You yep. know right what I mean? Right over the top. Yep. Think, you know that scene from 300? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the etymology of the gladius is a Latin masculine sen second declension noun. I don't think I've ever seen etymology broken down that finely or that it's, it's an entire, it's an entire field of study. It is. Yeah. yeah. On a knife itself. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's a Latin masculine second, second declension noun. It's nominative and vocative plural is gladii. I think we could have jumped to that conclusion. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Gladiuses. Gl right. yeah, <laughs> I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. The etymology gets pretty deep and it gets a little bit cerebral. So if you want to get into the intricacies of the origins of the word, both gladii and gladius, then uh, check out the Wikipedia page for gladius. That's G-L-A-D-I-U-S. Uh, until that point, we're going to skip right to the history and origins of the sword itself. Next. Livy relates to the story of Titus Manlius Torquatus, <laughs> which is, I want that <laughs> handle right yeah. there. Titus Manlius Torquatus. That's what it is. <laughs> Titus Manlius Torquatus. <laughs> Accepting a challenge to a single combat by a large Gallic soldier at the bridge over the Anio River, where the Gauls and the Romans were encamped on opposite sides. Manlius 
strapped on the Hispanic sword, Gladius Hispanius, during combat, he thrust twice with it under the shield of the Gaul, dealing fatal blows to the abdomen. Then he removed the Gaul's torque and placed it around his own neck, hence the name Torquatus. I don't know what a torque is. I'm, I, I'm, is there a link or something? I'm, I don't know. Very, well, it's a paper, Jim. What am okay. I supposed to click the black right. word with the line under it? All right, we're going to have to... Okay, homework for both Matt and I is to look up what a Gaulian torque is. Yeah, what? What? show me the Gaul's torque. I feel like if I look <laughs> that up in a Google image search, I'm going to be appalled. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to come up with some pretty unsavory results. <laughs> that's how you get the, the handle Torquatus. So sure. I, sure. The combat occurred during the cons- councilships of... C. Sospicius Pedicus and C. Licinius Stolo, about 361 BC, long before the Punic Wars, but during the frontier wars with the Gauls, 366 to 341. One theory proposes the borrowing of the word gladius from cladi during this period, relying on the principle that K often became G in Latin. Uh, you know, that okay. actually holds true in a lot of Japanese also. Oh, does it really? Yeah, K and G can be interchangeable in some contexts. Oh. They're pretty interesting. And so cool. a lot of times yeah. you see stuff written both ways, and you're like, is that right? Is that right? Well, and, well they're both right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Gotcha. It, it is yeah. something that just changes when it goes to English. Pretty slow. Um, the word gladius acquired a general meaning as any type of sword. This use appears as early as the first century AD in the biography of Alexander the Great by Quintus Curtius Rufus, and what a courteous Rufus he was. The Republican <laughs> authors, however, appear to mean a specific type of sword, which is now known from archaeology to have had variants, different types of gladii. Which which I did not know until until prefacing this a little bit. It was pretty it's pretty cool. So to yep. fall into the category of gladius amongst mm-hmm. its uh, cohorts and variants mm-hmm. would be gladii were two-edged for cutting and had a tapered point for stabbing during thrusting. A solid grip was provided by a knobbed hilt. Added on, possibly, with ridges for the fingers. I think we see that mostly depicted that it's kind of a, a scalloped handle, like a yep. three, you know, Yeah, usually, usually there's like a cross guard in the front, and then the middle is either like a solid piece that's carved, or like literal, almost like dice-shaped things that are stacked. Right, yeah. You know, on top of that with a big ball pommel on the end of it, and then and then it's peened over yep. on the for, back end. And it has that huge pommel for balance and everything like that. Right. Um, the blade strength itself was achieved by welding together strips, in which case the sword had a channel down the center or by fashioning a single piece of high carbon steel, rhomboidal in cross section. The owner's name was often engraved or punched on the blade. Now, if you guys want to see a real in-depth, um, fairly in-depth, almost obnoxiously in-depth uh, method of manufacture, visit the Wikipedia site. We, uh, for the sake of brevity, kind of spared you the details because it gets pretty specific. <clears throat> it gets so it's- specific that I founded of dubious nature so it, check that out for yourself on wikipedia under gladius because we're talking about latin words i believe the latin word for some of the minutiae would be ad nauseum yeah, yeah there you go yeah <laughs> described ad nauseum <laughs> the, the hilt of a roman sword was the capulus it was often ornate especially the sword hilts of officers and dignitaries stabbing was a very effective efficient technique and stabbing wounds especially in the abdominal area were almost always deadly especially with primitive medicine practices <laughs> that's me uh, not wikipedia <laughs> however the gladius in some circumstances was used for cutting or slashing as indicated by livy's account in the macedonian wars wherein macedonian soldiers were horrified to see dismembered bodies and those bodies members were dissed <laughs> by hand of the gladius. <coughs> Though the primary infantry attack was thrusting at stomach height, there were they were trained to take any advantage, such as slashing at kneecaps beneath the shielded wall. 
The gladius was sheathed in a scabbard, mounted on a belt or shoulder strap. Some say on the right, some say on the left. Thanks for the clarification. Some say the soldier reached across his body to draw it, and others claim that the position of the shield made this method of drawing impossible. A centurion wore it on the opposite side as a mark of distinction. Towards the end of the 2nd century AD and during the 3rd century, the Spatha gradually took place of the gladius in Roman legions. So this is something... After reading this Wikipedia article, I get the impression that there are a lot of people who really get down on the history of the Gladius. So I almost feel like I'm doing those people a disservice by abbreviating the Wikipedia itself. If you are more interested in the Gladius, I recommend exercising your Google Foo and getting out there and looking into it because they are an interesting blade shape. But as anything that is this old and this historic, whether it be knives or other topics you can rest assured that it's highly disputed and very specific according to certain facts that have been uh, produced in very specific circumstances. So they dug up right. one sword and on that archaeological site, and then all of a sudden becomes uh, a pretty big deal. So let's see. We're gonna, I, I, that is my just little addition i don't know what aside i'm just taking a yep. quick aside now we're going to get down to kind of the fun part which is the types of gladii several different designs were used among collectors and historical reenactors the three primary kinds known are the mains gladius the fulham gladius and the pompeii gladius these names refer to where or how the canonical example was found more recent archaeological finds have uncovered an earlier version called the gladius hispaniensis as you guys know, the Hispanic sword. <laughs> <laughs> the differences between these varieties are subtle. The original Hispanic sword, which was used during the Republic, had a slight wasp waist. So when they say wasp waist, think of early Gerber Mark II. Yep. That's a wasp waist where the, the tip tapers back to a, a wider edge height or a taller or a blade height, mm -hmm. rather. And then it necks down, maintaining a cutting surface, and then widens back again before it reaches a ricasso. Which so, is actually my preferred type of gladius. I like the wasp waist. Oh, that's my preferred type of yeah. everything. So imagine <laughs> a mirror image of a recurved knife, a mirror from spine to spine. Right, exactly. And that would give exactly. you a wasp waist. So I, I just, I really, it's a really sexy line. Some people complain that it's difficult to sharpen. Uh, it wasn't for the Spartans, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they did it before God was born. Right, yeah. So, Even before know. our good friends at KME <laughs> had produced a rod that performed such an, a, a task so aptly. Uh, the differences between these varieties are subtle. The original Hispanic sword, let's see, we got to wasp waist or leaf blade, which is uh, an older term. That's something that you guys would have heard more in the 70s than in today's market. But leaf blade was the, the term of the day, the term du jour, uh, curvature. The mains variety came into use on the frontier in the early empire. It kept the curvature, but shortened and widened the blade and made the point triangular. So that's kind of iconic when some mm -hmm. people picture a gladius, they picture yep. that triangular point. It comes like a yep. needle point, right? Yeah. At home, the less battle-effective Pompeii version came into use. It, it eliminated the curvature, lengthened the blade, and diminished the point. The Fulham was a com compromise with the straight edges and a long point. So it goes, <laughs> look, talking in historical sense, when you have bladesmiths, and you have people, whether it be village to village or armory to armory, these guys aren't working off that precise of a blueprint. 
So they are truly capturing the spirit of the weapon in this mm-hmm. case. Tools were even further off the reservation mm-hmm. from tool to tool. Oh, right? it was it was however the blacksmith decided to make it. Yeah, whatever that it, piece it, of steel it, wanted it, to be like, that day, you yep, know? Yeah. Yep, and it's between that and the blacksmiths themselves from village to village all had variations. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And I mean, <clears throat> from unit to unit, village to village, rank to rank. I mean, everything yeah. is going to be a little bit different because this was the the birth of the custom era. They didn't have what are they uh swiss fine blanking presses oh nothing water yeah, nothing jets like that. Nothing yeah like you know that. what i mean they had yeah. uh pretty crude caliber calipers made of wood yep just to check dimensions and stuff like yep, that they would just set them to that width and then they would just try to match that width that's it that's, and as, that's as precise as it was and people thought that, that was awesome so you will then. see influence and you'll mm-hmm. be like well this was from this region because it's reminiscent of this sword found in that region right thank you train uh but the idea when we see prop masters that injection mold 200 gladii to outfit all the cast members with they all look (laughs) identical it's preposterous because that's just not the way it goes it is a master smith with apprentices banging these things out as fast as they can and there are going to be variations if you ever want to see that executed look at the fairbane sykes commando dagger which is as recent as world war ii and beyond right and the original ones Mm -hmm. the checkering pattern was never the same from one to the other there were obvious similarities and obvious critical dimensions but just looking at those finishing points they were so different from one to another so it just things just things to look at the gerber mark ii is another great example i'm rambling but i get excited about this kind of stuff so you guys are gonna have to deal with it um the gerber mark ii if you take two gerber mark II, mark twos from the same year no two look identical that's crazy <clears throat> yeah the, the plunges and everything because a lot of more hand finished right now whether they were primarily hand ground i don't know i didn't work at gerber but when you look at them you can clearly see that they were hand finished so anyways that is a little bit of a trimmed down history of the gladius something with so much time to analyze it it's going to have some pretty deep technical knowledge uh i invite you guys to go check it out and go on a as jim would say journey of discovery <laughs> Hey, uh, Jim. Sup, man? I've been listening to the podcast on my computer through my pretty sweet stereo system. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is, when I'm traveling, I like to use podcasts to keep awake and sure. everything like that. So how do I put the podcast on my phone? Uh, as as uh, sexy as our voices are over nice classic <laughs> stereos. Listen, right? I, yeah. right? I understand the need for, for listening on a commute. I myself have a commute twice a week for the, for the karate. As, right. as you would as you would pronounce it, um, the karate. I uh, I pre-download my podcasts. If you are an iTunes user, an iPhone user, you would just go to your podcast app, and oh. you would just you would just listen away. They have a button for that on the they, iPhone. They do. They have a button for that on the iPhone. Um, you know, most people Apple listen, thinks of everything, don't they? Yep, they do. They do. If you don't like Apple, like me, <laughs> you uh, you uh, you have alternatives. If you are on Android, which I am. You have Which several. had a different meaning in the 70s, so don't take it in that context. <laughs> <laughs> this is 2018. Yeah. So, so, so what I do is I download, there, there are two great apps out there. One of them is CastBox. The other one is Podcast Addict. They're both inside the Google Play Store. You can, you can go there and listen to it. Or if you don't want to go through any of that rigmarole and you're already a Stitcher user, just search for us on Stitcher. Perfect. So, yep. I cannot wait for my next road trip. All right, 
As we stated before, this is going to be a pretty short episode due to my long-winded aside to Jim before we started. Which is all good. Yeah, <laughs> and I sometimes, hey, I, we're friends on the air, we're friends off the air. We just got to bounce ideas back and forth to make sure that, A, we can keep doing this, and B, that we can keep doing the other thing that feeds this, which is making <laughs> knives. So it was good. Good uh, pep talk. I appreciate it, Jim. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. What do we have for questions, good sir? Well, Matt, I happen to post up a nice... Cool little steampunky question mark. That is cool. I did. Yeah. I, I liked it. Yeah, it was cool. The, the only thing I didn't like about it was that it was line art. But, <laughs> oh, no, no. but you know, whatever. Um, so I got we got a ton of questions in a short amount of time. Super proud of you guys. Posted this one in the Behind the Blade Trench Crew. Yeah. If you are not a member of Behind the Blade Trench Crew, you should go join. Join the Trench the, Crew, yeah. The Trench Crew. Thanks, gang, for giving us the content on this weary night. Absolutely. Facebook.com slash groups slash BTB Trench Crew. So get there and join up so you can see all of the good, fun stuff. All right, first question from James Hunsberger. On average, how many knives are sent in for the spa treatment per week? If you guys don't know what a spa treatment is, that's basically a refurbishment. There you go. And, and I think and um, what, what Bark River does is Bark River um, really just charges $15 for a spa treatment. The reason why we charge $15 is to ship the knife back to you. You pay, you pay to ship the knife to us, include a check, $15. We do... Everything that you'd want to it, <laughs> as far as far as cleaning it up, and then it just goes right back out to you as a as, as a service, which includes which includes pretty much everything. Matt, do you do the same thing? Not as cheaply, <laughs> which, which is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's totally cool. Yeah. So so um for for me as far as spa treatments go, we maybe receive maybe maybe about twenty knives a week. For complete refurbishments. Now these now and, and most of these knives have been like used and abused because Matt and I both design knives to be used. And so people take the knives and they use them. Which is no bigger honor, yep. honestly, as a maker. Yep. So so that's awesome. So it's about twenty knives a week for me. Um and as far as actual problems go, actual problems with knives, like manufacturing defects or anything like that, usually fall within nine, ten percent range. Oh, there for, you go. For, for 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 actual returns back. So most stuff, most stuff is just spot treatments. There you go. So, mm, all right, Matt, do you, do you have any, do you get usually? Uh, we get w- very rarely. And to me, I get excited because we're so much a low volume in comparison that when we get a knife back, that has just been to hell and back. Oh, I'm yeah. like, dude, this person really likes this knife Stamp of and, pride. and they yeah. like it enough to use it and they want it to return to its original so that they can start back again using it. You know <laughs> what I you mean? know they will. Yeah, you know it's will. not a, a flipper who's like, oh, it's rusted in a sock drawer and now I want to get full price for it and send it back, which I always kind of have this moral obligation against, or mm-hmm. uh, objection, I should say, uh, you know, against it. Um, I see a lot of that happen with 100% warranty companies, not just Bark River, but any anybody, any outfitter, yep. any gear maker, any knife maker, yep. where and people, yeah, people want to sell it and it's they've left it, they've ne- neglected it. I'm not saying they've used it, I'm saying they've neglected it. Mm-hmm. And then they want to turn around and get full pop for it on the retail re- resale market, secondary market. So yeah. that's a whole nother topic in and mm-hmm. of itself. All right, what's the next question? Next question from Matt Wessendorf. What's up, Matt? How you doing? Um, um, This one... I'm going to let Matt go ahead and start with this one. What step in the knife building process do you dislike the most? And what is your favorite? Uh, I'm going to answer this backwards. So okay. my favorite is design. Right. My favorite yeah. is absolutely the design. And that is constantly evolving. At one point, my favorite was soldering guards. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think I, that's my favorite uh, step right now. Polishing leather <laughs> was my favorite step. But right now it's design and that's where it's at. And I, I would say... Do I dislike the most? Let's make one thing clear. 
I hate making knives. <laughs> I hate it just slightly less than I like making knives. <laughs> so it comes out to like a net one. But I would say the worst part for me, especially when it comes to a custom, and this is without equivocation, the worst part for me when I make a custom knife is shipping it. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm critical of my own work. Yep. And yep. I out the door. I yep. try so hard to put out a good product. And when I ship it, I'm nervous. Yeah. And I remember when I was in the days of like one knife every couple of weeks, which somehow seems like more than what I do now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when I was in, uh, when I was in those days where it's like, I spent all this time on a knife and I had zero reputation. I had, I had 50 friends on Facebook back yep. then. Your knife page was just your friends. Yep. And I'm like, Oh, okay, here it goes. The tape's on it. There's still time to fix something. And then you're like, okay, the label's on it. There's still time to fix something. And then the mail carrier takes it away and I collapse in a nervous wreck. <laughs> and I'm not a nervous person, I don't think. But that is where I went to pieces. So shipping a custom knife. And I don't mm -hmm. mean like boxing it. I'm not talking about that whole rigmarole. Jenna does a fantastic job of that. Ashley does a fantastic job of that. I don't even touch tape gun anymore. However, watching it go out the door, I am nervous. And so that <laughs> is the worst part. That's the emotional worst part. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go on to the next question. So, Wes Jackson. What's up, Wes? For both, how did you practice handle design? Wood, foam, or some other cheaper medium? Um, I can go ahead and start. So, in the knife world, I'm a little privileged. <laughs> and especially especially when I was growing up, and I sound like a complete big jerk face when I say it, but watch your language, Jim. Okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> but, but but it was it was my father coming up to me, handing me a dagger blank made out of twelve c twenty seven and some micarta, and, and said, "Jim, you need to practice how to make knives. Go do something with this." And so it was micarta and a pre made dagger blank. There you go. <laughs> so for me, um, but um, I I, I would imagine. Uh, shaping things out of wood would probably be a great way to start would, would be would be a great way to start getting a final product or an idea of what your final design is going to feel like in hand are you are you answering both questions from Wes at the same time no i didn't answer the oh, second okay. question yet i just stopped there um the, the the second part of his question which i was a jerk i just kind of took over i'm sorry you did you uh, those man <laughs> did you keep it gift it or sell it i kept it because i wouldn't show it to god for entry into heaven do you still have it <laughs> yeah I do. oh no kidding i do i do still have it yeah <laughs> um you know i get i think about this too i'm like what was my first successful mm -hmm. knife what was my first complete knife and i would say i have it and it was supposed to be this Japanese style Tonto back then. We were trying to uh, keep pace with the Japanese sword masters and quench in water, which Ooh. is not easy to do. Ah. And it was about a 99% mortality rate. Yep. As soon as you dunk it in the water, before we even figured out, oh, you should warm the water. You know, what I mean? you go through all these things. <laughs> it's oh, cold tap water. You mean you can add salt to make the brine? Oh, oh okay, we're learning. And then all of a sudden, Parks Oil or ATF or yeah. whatever came up. And we're like, oh, okay, so it was a very slow process. So the very first knife. I actually gave it to my mom and it was the broken fragment. It was a part that survived. Right. So I thought that the process went well and it was uh -huh. tempered. It was the tip of a Tonto. <laughs> and so that was, that was it. And I actually have it in my case. I don't know if my mom listened to the show or not, but uh, she was like, Oh, well I want you to put your name on it, but vehement knives on it. And I was like, 
Well, we weren't vehement knives. We weren't anything you guys have ever even heard of when we started. I was like, this is, it's not like a historical piece for the Smithsonian. I was like, but it's inaccurate. And I don't want to mm-hmm. put my name on that now like yeah. because it's come a, a different direction. So, but yeah, that would probably be the first knife. And then after mm-hmm. that, I mean, there were so many failures and limited successes between then and now. And there were also knives that I made that I would consider my first knife plus or minus that people offered me money for. And when I was hungry as a, not even a knife maker, just a a person who made things, you know, I would sell them. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that would, that would probably be the first successful knife if you want to call it that. And yes, I still have it. It's actually in my showcase and my mom's waiting for me to put a maker's mark on it. I'll never do it. (laughs) It'll never (laughs) happen. It'll sit there forever. All right. right, um, So tech, then the tech question, how do you practice handle design? Oh, you already covered that. Or I did. did. You? Okay. I did. Yes. Um, wow. I think I skipped over everything. You did. Yeah, I so did. Wes, I totally I, screwed up on that. Wes, I'm sorry. My my yeah. answer. Wes is awesome. Cat. He's a yeah. supporter of ours, and we talk pretty regularly. And I know he's getting into knife making. So good for you, I, man. Wes, I'm going to give you my the Matt Martin version of the answer to your question. Um, if you're hand making a knife, it means you have hands. Use those hands to tell if that handle is comfortable. Keep working it until it is. It's pretty yeah. simple. You long know what long I mean? story short. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. It, I've, I've heard of cool things and I've had these great like hypothetical mm-hmm. ideas. Great to me. I'm like, oh, okay. So what if I took uh, clay and molded my hand around it, which I know is a trick that, uh, uh, oh no, I'm going to lose his name. Oh, Dozier? No. Did the bread Steve Roller. Oh, okay. Steve Roller. Sorry, Steve. Steve was the director of the Professional Knife Makers Association, director of education. Oh, cool. Uh, but uh, he would take clay and mold it around his hands. And I was like, oh, what if you did that and then took the wire that you used to cut clay to cut slabs out of that? And then you'd have like a cross section of it to make a pattern <laughs> off it. So I was like, that'd be cool, pretty cool. But the fact of the matter is, um, I have hands, mm-hmm. I have eyes. So it has to be comfortable in the hand first, visually appealing second. And that usually has to do with more spine work than belly work because the Mm -hmm. belly work is going to be more ergonomic. The spine work, you're always going to be able to register off a a square, not a square, but like a a straight surface. A straight surface would be accurate on that because your palm happens to be straight. Also, right. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do as far as that goes, but don't overthink it. Use your eyes, use the hands that you're using to make that knife and make sure it feels comfortable. And then a good test for that, a good litmus test, if you will, is that pass it off to a couple buddies of dissimilar uh, hand sizes. Yeah, there you go, perfect. Yeah, and then Mm -hmm. it'll be like, oh, this feels great to me and I have pretty small hands. So when I make something and I hand it to my buddy, Ollie, who's got really big hands and he goes, this feels great. I go, home run. That means it's going to feel good with anybody. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I did the same thing with the uh, the Marauder thing, and that was something that I learned later. The first, I think, it w- 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 what was my first knife? The Springbok. Oh right, that's the, a the great Springbok. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I thank you. I like it a lot. I think it's a great all around knife. I, I do did, too. Didn't set the world on fire. That's okay. It happens. I think that's but, dumb because I really <laughs> like that knife. To me, I, and I'm very simple in my <laughs> knife taste. You know what I mean? I, I don't care how much wood you hot glue to the sides of it. Uh, it it's either a good knife or it's not. <laughs> and that's a great knife. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That one. That one. I kind of did the same thing. Um, as, as Matt was talking about, is that you need different perspective from people who have different hands than you. Yes. Because especially if you're trying to, especially if you're trying to like be a custom knife maker and have a standard model that you're going to sell to more than one broad person. appeal. Yeah. Broad, broad appeal. I mean, so, so you need a handle that's kind of comfortable in all hands. So that's something that I do 
Um, I did it with the Marauder and the Marauder prototype and all those. I, I gave it to Matt because Matt has the same size hands that I, as me. I gave it to everybody that I can put it in my hands in. And guys with bigger hands said, hey, this is uncomfortable. And I went, I need to change something. I'll fix it, yeah. And so uh, the new the new Marauder one, I took those changes, incorporated that, and it's an awesome, super comfortable hand. Yep, on feels good. And, and the, the only way that I could have done that was via the method that Matt just outlined. So... Pass it around. So absolutely get it and get it as many many hands as you can and just remember what, what you're told. So um from uh Colin Beckler skim or two percent milk? One percent. Two percent. Or whole milk. One percent. <laughs> Next. Um Justin Medley, when it comes to coming out with a new models of knives, who or what do you guys draw inspiration from? Anything. Anything. Yep. And you know what, Justin? When it hits you, it hits you. So my uncle gave my dad this book and it says curves of steel or curves in steel. And it was just kind of like a hyperbolic name for a classic car book. Right. And it was, yeah. you look at it and you're like, Oh, this is awesome. And it's just a bunch of antique cars when they were focusing on the, uh, um, aerodynamic. It was like the aerodynamic era. And so this is sitting on my dad's coffee table and I'm thumbing through it all the time. And I'm like, Oh, there's something to this. You know what I mean? Like there, what lines are attractive? So I actually were, I, I took lines and textures from my favorite cars in that book and I applied them to a knife model that's in engineering right now. But what's funny is that all those lines and textures that I applied to that knife model got paired off line by line, texture by texture <laughs> oh, no. until what I was left was a skeleton. And mm-hmm. that skeleton is actually a pretty basic, pretty simple knife. That's our folder, the uh, Baron Mark one. Yeah, and that, so it, it's awesome, by the way. However, mm-hmm. that was influenced by those cars, much in the way that a concept car that's molded out of clay or something similar is over the top with its uh, embellishments and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And then when it hits the commercial market, it's actually been paired way back for ease of manufacture or just sometimes the design gets too cluttered and you just need to start bringing things away. So in my mind, and this is kind of the school of Bob Loveless is less is more. And the more you can peel off and be left with that just raw, unadulterated influence, not the copy, not trying to capture the grill texture in the bolster, but just the silhouette of the grill mm-hmm. in the bolster. So that's where you get those, those line influences. And when you get those, that's the one where people scratch your head. Cause I know I've done this and you look back and you're like, Oh my God, like how did he come up with this? Well, the influence is there, but it's not so overt that it's easily discernible. So when you see it, you, that's influence. That's not mm-hmm. plagiarism. You right. know what I mean? So yeah. that's, that's where I, so I get it everywhere. Jim, yeah. where do you, where do you get your, well, 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 also, also to add to your point, I want to, I want to point out that design is a process. You don't, oh God, you don't, it? you don't come up, you don't wake up at 1am in the morning and go, I know what to do. And then you draw out the knife and then you're done. You go back to sleep by one fifteen, <laughs> right? right. It, it, it never happens like that. It's always, I like the way this line looks above the center line that I'm planning on drawing the knife. And, and you just kind of start going from there. So yeah, as Matt said, and I really don't have much more to add to that because it was really good, is that, is that inspiration itself is a process and, and your own style kind of develops those lines as you go. Yes. So 
And you'll have tricks in your toolbox. You know yeah. what I mean? There are well, certain well, things. I've got certain points in my toolbox. You've got certain points yep. in your toolbox. And Matt and I don't really cross lines because we're different people and we're different designs. We see we're things different differently. Yeah. 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 My rules are different than Matt's. Matt will violate my rules all day long, but he still comes away with <laughs> still comes away with a really nice looking knife that I would have never designed because they violate my design rules. I'm kind and- of a rebel, Dottie. <laughs> <laughs> Pee Herman reference, but but, uh, but and and it's also vice versa. I mean, so so it can be anything. It can be the bottle on your table, right? It can be it can be anything. It can be a facet that you saw one time, and it, or or it could just be like it just be like you watched too much black sales that week, and you want to design a cutlass. You're swashbuckling, so- <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. the other thing in the design process is to remember that. I go through twice as many erasers as I do boxes of lead. Oh my God, yeah. So Uh. I scribble big and I start erasing much the way you liberate a knife from the bar of steel itself. So you start with this big scribble magic marker thickness and you start removing uh, scratch marks with your lead marks Mm -hmm. until you're left with a refined piece. And that is, I think Jim and I just described what we wish we were actually like because it, the old adage that we've used for years in the cabinet shop was measure it with micrometers, mark it with a piece of chalk and cut it out with an ax. <laughs> so, you know, aim small, miss small, but yeah, look everywhere for it. Cause you never know. And, and for me, I'm a textural guy. So sure. I always look at textures because that's what speaks to me. And mm-hmm. that's everything from blasted micarta to the mesh of a speaker grill. Mm-hmm. There are certain textures that just jump out at me. Right. And so I design with that in mind. And I think everybody has, own cues yep everybody has their own cues on that one for sure all right but great question i like that one a lot all right terry haynes for both of us in your opinion is there a best quote design to try making as a first time rookie maker and if so what would it be f no i'm gonna say f no and i'm not gonna say the actual word but i'm gonna say no i'm gonna say if well it's the one that you're impassioned by. It's yeah. the one that you, I mean, look, uh, what do they, what do they say? Uh, that's has something to do with copying is flattery. There's uh, um, imitation, imi- is flattery. imitation yep. is flattery. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've always been obsessed with sog knives from the time that yeah. I was a child. So <laughs> my white whale in my early days of knife design were Mac V sog knives. Right. And I actually made them, differently than they were because that's what my mind saw. Mm -hmm. And then people were kind of, they attracted to it and it became a thing. You know what I mean? So, but with a taller blade height and on my custom sog knives are kind of recurved. You know what I, I I thought they were all recurved. Turns out none of them were. (laughs) That's where the recurve was born. Uh I thought there should be a round finger choil because all I had was a half round file. And so that's what I used. So Mm -hmm. instead of replicating it, I just kind of made it the way I saw it. And it turns out that it was appreciated by at least a handful of people. So, so make the knife you want to make. If you, if you're like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to start off with a Kephart. Then you're going to make a Kephart. Yeah. Make that knife that you are like, I want to capture this. The yes. tracker knives was a big one. The Beck mm-hmm. WSK. Mm-hmm. I, I could not get it. So I kept trying and trying. Now I can just do them, but it's right now I'm over it. You know what I mean? But when you're <laughs> yeah. impassioned by that, mm-hmm. that's where you need to be. So what's the knife you want, man? Make that knife. Yep. It also, also, it gives you the drive to learn the techniques because you're emotionally, you're not, you're not just invested in learning the technique. You're emotionally invested in owning that design. Yeah. Yes. 
right? Oh, you're so, pushing the envelope. Oh, yeah. you're and, like, so, and so you're pushing the envelope. Like Matt was telling me a story one time that his first knife that he ever wanted to make was a dagger. Yes. Daggers suck to grind. They're terrible. Matt cut his teeth grinding knives, making one of the hardest things to grind. That's, yeah, that's where I and, started. And, and, and that and, is that's yeah, the truth. It's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely something that, that you should keep in mind. So, man, if you like a loveless big bear, go to town. Try it. Absolutely. Yeah. Go, go right for it. Go right for it. And then guess what? You're going to screw up. Yep. Understand that miss. right now. <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to so miss hard. so hard. You're going to miss by so far. You could drive a school bus in between in between what was there. Right. Or, or, another, or another planet, maybe right. in my case. But, <laughs> but what if you, you know, it's that old, uh, what's that old greeting card? It's like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm afraid to jump. You know, what mm-hmm. if I fall? And she's like, but what if you fly? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go for it, man. The worst that could happen is you end up with something that you didn't have before and you'll think it's pretty cool. Chances are somebody else will think it's pretty cool. And then you'll be like, you know what? I can do better and yeah. then do better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 100% find a design that you love, not just like, yeah, I guess I could do that. You'd be like, no, 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 no. Go back to the drawing board and, and be like, and be like this one right here that took me two days to find by this really obscure thing over here on the side. That's what I want to make. And you'll feel it in your gut. Yeah. You'll feel it in your gut. And you'll know that that's it. Make that so, knife. And, okay. And you'll hate it. And yeah, other oh, yeah, people yeah, yeah. might like it. So just be aware. Just be go into that eyes wide open. Just, yeah, just understand that now. And, and, and forgive yourself because it's totally okay. It's how learning, how learning happens. Next question. Jay, Le- Jay Leeson. One knife for the rest of your life. Which one? I think we answered something like this. I think uh, it was a Pierce W.J. Taylor question geez. a few episodes ago. This is... Uh, so I'm somewhere between Falkneven S1, Cold Steel. I'm sorry, guys. SRK. Um, that was predictable. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, they're the same knife virtually. Just one's a little bit scaled mm-hmm. up. Like to love or to use? Because honestly, the the original SOG knife is like one of those that's up there. Like if I could have one knife, cause you could picture yourself doing everything with it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, but I would say, uh, Randall 14 Felkneven. This is in descending order. Randall 14 Felkneven S one and the cold steel SRK in a Ray mirrors wood lore. Ooh. That was a good addition there. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's all right. That's all right. Um, um, I, I would agree with the Ray Mears Woodlore. I mean, that's, that's a small, compact knife, easily hidden on the belt. I mean, not that the goal is to hide it. The goal is to have something that's carryable and usable. And if I could only choose one knife to go, it would be either that knife exactly or something similar along the same lines from someone else. It's a modern adaptation yeah. of the finished Puko. It's a full tank Puko. Basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. And it's extraordinarily utilitarian. It's very carryable. Something like that, something like that would probably be me. I think I think the last time I answered this question, it was like a desert island, one knife. I think I picked the classic drop point hunter. Oh, yeah. Because I like the style. I like I like its reminder of civilization. Yeah. If I'm, if, oh, because I'm on a stranded island, That's right? That's fine, yeah. Right, yeah. right. I like the reminder that nice things can be made and nice things that can be had. And also, it's a knife that I can, you know, bet my life on. Yeah, absolutely. But, but one knife for the rest of my life, where barring that desperate feeling where I wouldn't have to care about that, <laughs> it'd probably be something along the lines of the woodlore. Woodlore. Yep, yeah, for sure. Good knife. Okay. So, uh, next question. 
Um, J. Brian Elleg, and we've yeah, we've only really got time for uh, another couple questions here. Okay. So, uh, hey, Brian. J- Brian. Brian's cool cat. He actually came visit us out in uh, Colorado. Ooh, his family. Yeah. nice. Good job, man. Uh, what are your thoughts on file work? Do you worry about ruining a blade after all the work is put into it? One hundred percent. Oh my god! Yes. Oh my god! It's so nerve wracking. Yeah. I mean, I mean, especially especially with me because it's like I'm like a, a machine work guy, so it's like I am like just learning about hand work that you put into stuff. I've only uh. really been doing it for like the last year. I'm starting to really appreciate the small nuances of hand file work and really getting in there to the nitty gritty and taking your time with something, soldering the guards and hand filing down, hand filing and hand sanding them to finish. Believe me, I 100% appreciate it now, but it, man, if you take like a checkering file and you're going to go put jimping in the blade and then you skip over your line and you make a really deep gouge and you ruin your jimping, there's no worse feeling. No, there is, Jim. That. There okay. is a worse feeling. Okay, Matt. Brian, the worst feeling <laughs> is when you have a done blade and you say, I'm going to file work this mother and you do and you file work it. And you're killing it. And you're like, everything's just falling into place. And then as you get close to the end, you foul it up. So not only do you have the knife work under your belt, you have the file work under your belt. (laughs) And you screw it up. And it was, uh, yeah, so that is, it is nerve-wracking. And the line from Point Break, fear causes hesitation. Hesitation causes your worst fears to become reality. Mm -hmm. And so you have to just keep a cool head and be like, I can fix whatever's going to happen. I can Mm -hmm. do this. I can do this. And just pep talk yourself the whole time. And then when you're done, you collapse in a mess and you're like i did it i need a nap and a sandwich yeah that's basically how it's sure oh man yeah absolutely so that was good all right last question for the night what are your opinions of differential heat treatment for working blades for against pros and cons so depends on what the job is it does depend on what the job is by and large bark river differentially he treats all of our blades not not from spine to edge but from but from Ricasso to the end oh, of the tank. Right. Yeah, solid dead and tanks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so so our blades are all exactly the same. So if it's 3V, it's about 60 Rockwell, and it'll be 60 Rockwell from the Ricasso to the tip, edge to spine, 100%. But then it'll slowly get softer to the end of the tang for differential heat treating. And we do that for toughness and flexibility, and we feel like um, we feel like we really get a return, or not, not us, you guys, get a return as customers for it. It adds toughness to the blade. It's not going to break on you. Mm-hmm. So definitely four. I have nothing to add to that. Mm-hmm. I I think there's a benefit. I think when you're talking quarter inch knives or even three sixteenths inch knives, uh, I don't see, and this is just my own personal opinion. I don't see an opinion. Uh, I don't see any improvement because the fact of the matter is, is extraordinary beyond human capability abuse um, shouldn't be a factor so if we're if we're talking eighth inch steel, then I'm a hundred percent for it, and I think that's an amazing thing to do if people have the resources and or time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in today's marketplace where there are so many overbuilt, really, really thick knives, you're hard pressed to break them without an anomaly in the parent metal, at which point drawing back the steel has no bearing whatsoever. A carbon band is a carbon band and a carbon band when initiated with whether a scratch, a gouge or some other kind of flaw is going to cause failure. So I think there, I think there is a a benefit um, to me. I'm on the fence. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, but I, I I can definitely see it, especially on thinner knives. So when you're exploiting the material, that's when you want to pull out all the stops and do as much as you possibly can there. That's my opinion. 
All right. All right. That wraps it up for episode 34. Oh, that's a podcast. That's Question a podcast. Mark? Oh, okay. Podcast. Good, sir. All right. Um, let me just wrap things up really quick. If you guys want to get in touch with us, go ahead and check out our Behind the Blade Trench Crew Facebook page or the Behind the Blade Podcast Facebook business page. There you can get to us either at a messaging there, a direct message there, or post in either one of those things. We will see it. Um, if you guys want to email us, it should be info at BehindTheBladePodcast.com. Um, let's see. What else? What else we got? Is that it? I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's it. Oh, hey, you guys can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere. Do me a favor, though. Anywhere that you can leave us a review. Leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher. Preferably a positive one. Preferably a positive one. Yes, that would be that would be good. I probably should have led with that. <laughs> leave a positive. Leave a positive review. Be honest, but very positive. Yes, that would be that would be fantastic. <laughs> So, all right. Well, then I guess that's it. We're, we're out for tonight. So you guys have a great night. Matt, thank you for joining me. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. And you guys have a great night. Bye.